Welcome back to the 80th episode of the OpFat Cast. I'm Steve Cuff, and joining me today, I've got Adam Myros. Hi, Steve. Sean Glynis. Hello. And we actually have a special guest, and normally when I say special guest, it just means one of the jackasses that's normally on this show, but uh, we have a, like a for real special guest. Uh, he's a writer. He writes for Digital Fix and Film Inquiry. He's uh, super smart, and he's got a better accent than anyone you know, probably. Uh, Alistair Ryder's here. Oh, it's a thank you for saying that I've got a better accent than anybody listening to this podcast knows. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. You, you're, you're really classing up the joint, man. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be long before I take it downhill. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't let this accent that's, that's deceive okay. you. Because well, normally we just we just kind of swim in this murky cesspool of like dirtbag film podcasting. But you, you elevate us to, to real bylines and, and actual film festivals. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. <laughs> Yeah, all of the uh, the Glynis attempts to make this pro- podcast prestige are just fallen by the wayside now. They, now that they I'm truly here. have. Yeah, it's now an elevated podcast. Yeah, elevated podcast. Maybe you heard of it, you know? We're doing what John Krasinski we, did but- for the horror genre. <laughs> That's right. But we mainly had you on because you, um, you're five hours ahead, and we kind of just wanted to know what to expect. Uh, <laughs> in the next five hours uh the future is uh it's pretty mundane i have to say um don't don't rush getting here no. <laughs> <laughs> i'll do my best I'm, I'm hoping to die before i get there but we'll see <laughs> maybe this podcast will be the one to make you die of embarrassment finally it's i mean i don't know we've gotten pretty low so <laughs> it's again I, I we find ways to dig deeper uh shit man let me tell you, before we get into, so you're, you're with us today, Alistair, because you actually went to Cannes, which is like, that's, I think, if you're a film critic, that's kind of a, a big moment and something really fucking cool. So I'm, I'm glad that you're coming on to talk about that. But before we get into something, you know, interesting and all the <laughs> art films that you talked about, holy shit, can we talk about John Wick 3 for a little bit? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather not, but we can See, this this is this is a I, I feel ganged up on here because of course I, I have the two guys on the podcast who they're like the only two human beings in the world who didn't like this movie. So let me tell you why it's fucking amazing, all right? And it begins with the theater choice that I made yesterday. Uh, there are two theaters in the, on the south side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Wait, and- Steve. Wait, wait. We're gonna have to play our film discussion song here. Oh yeah, we got shit. I almost forgot. Go ahead, hit it. Get too deep into it. Uh, let me cue it up. Oh my god, that was beautiful. I j- I feel like it gets better every time. You know, it's it's like a fine wine. It's just agent. Could you just just one more time for me? All right, one more time. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Well, I am rock hard now, thanks for that song. <laughs> Anyways, Milwaukee. There's there's two theaters on the south side of Milwaukee, and I made the wrong choice yesterday. 
there's one theater that, it, I mean, it, like the ticket prices are the same. Everything is basically identical. It's just the screens are a little bit smaller, so I tend to avoid it. But for some reason, yesterday, I, I don't know if it was a full moon or what, but I was in the most fucked up theater of all time. So behind me, I had two guys in matching Captain America shirts that were just doing like the Stadler and Waldorf routine from the Muppet show behind me during the, the trailer. So I'm like, oh, great. These guys are going to be fucking awesome to sit by. Did you get the one? Oh, wait, which trailers did you get? Uh, I got the, the Fast and the Furious and I got it, it's not Lucy, loop, but it's song. another woman's yeah. name. Yeah, that one. Another four letter woman name. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, whatever it is, like Anna. Uh, or... it, it looks awesome. I'll say that. Yeah, give me that, <laughs> that movie tomorrow. Fun. I'll say. Well, Lucy's just about the stupidest thing I've ever watched, which is saying something. So. Well, yeah, you just watched John Wick three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I've got these two jokers behind me. Next to me, uh, a, a group of elderly people. They sit directly to my left, and this is a theater <laughs> that is. 95% empty. There's five people in the whole theater, maybe. And just this ancient woman. You know how, like, when, when some old people get old, they sort of shrivel into themselves and just kind of look like uh, like toad, stumpy people? Mm-hmm. That's what she was. She was just, at any moment, someone could sneeze and she would turn into a cloud of dust. Uh, and, and then in front of me, there was, there was just, a, just a couple of people that I didn't pay much mind to. So, first off, the movie starts... And of course, the first thing you see is the uh, you know the titular character, Mr. John Wick. And I shit you not, okay. In in a rare instance where a meme becomes real, this elderly woman, <laughs> like, puts her hand on my arm, and like squeezes it, and literally said, "That's John Wick." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh boy, we're in for a ride. <laughs> did, did she tell you when the Parabellum showed up? <laughs> she did not, unfortunately. So, so that happened, uh, and then the, the film bros behind me, the Captain Americas, were actually pretty well behaved. Their, their only thing was they were really into dogs, so that whole dog fight scene that goes on, every time a dog bit somebody in the dick, they just went, whoa, like they were on <laughs> Wayne's World or something. God, they must have got hoarse. I feel like they had seen jammed about <laughs> 75 uh, instances of that. Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of doggy cock goblin going on in there, so... Speaking of horse. That happened, and, and I, I thought that that would be the end. But really, it was just the beginning, gentlemen, because one of the people that I paid no mind to that was sitting up towards the front, he started getting kind of loud, and I, I couldn't even... He was just kind of like incoherently yelling at the screen and just sort of swaying side to side. So I'm like, oh, this guy's just fucked up. He's got to be really drunk. But I... You know, it's not that big a deal. But then it got louder, then it got louder. And finally an usher comes in and starts talking to the guy. And the guy takes this extra large jumbo bucket of popcorn and just like whips it around the theater. (laughs) And the usher doesn't kick him out at this point for some reason. And then the guy leaves and he's got one of those buckets. Like if you buy the extra large jumbo bucket, you can refill it for free. He refills it, comes back in, and then whips the the bucket of popcorn again. And so the usher's like, sir, you're, you're going to have to leave. And, and then the guy's like, no, come here. I'm talking to you. And then you just hear the usher go, no, that's the thing. You can't talk. It's a movie theater. <laughs> and so the guy gets up and he goes to John Wick, the, the usher. He just takes a swing at him. 
misses by at least four feet, <laughs> spins himself around, and just face plants in some of the popcorn piles he's created. Nice. And then the cops come in and drag him away. So, yeah, that's uh, oh. that, was, that was my John Wick 3 experience. So it's kind of like... I mean, you know how in like the, the 50s and stuff, you, you'd go see like William Castle's The Tingler, yeah, and you'd have like guys in monster suits in the audience, and this is truly the next step for cinema. I do it's, remember doing that in the 50s, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. So what part of the movie did that happen? Um, I think by the time, the cops didn't drag him out until... Uh, the like right before the last sequence where they're defending the hotel, that yeah. that was they were just kind of like in the vault, like getting guns together, and um, yeah, he that's that's when the cops took him. Is it? Oh, I thought this was like post movie. This makes <laughs> sense to me why you actually enjoyed this movie. Dave, yeah, you didn't have to watch half of the fucking thing. I was, I was just going to say, is it possible that the only reason you like the film is just because you were experiencing this action movie mayhem? From the yeah. See, yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible because, you know, the thing with John Wick is I think the first film is it's it's really tight. It's really simple. I mean, it doesn't really get any more simple than someone killed my dog, which I associate with my dead wife. So now I will kill everyone like that's it's it's real straightforward. The second one kind of brings all this lore in and it's a little bit messy. And then they, of course, painted themselves into a corner. So by the time you get to the third one, all of the story stuff is utter nonsense. But you still got these incredibly directed action sequences and some of the best fight chore choreography, you know, you're going to see anywhere. So, because I had this guy who was literally fighting with cops and ushers and just screaming and throwing popcorn everywhere, I didn't have to really pay attention to too much of the story. And I think I'm better for it. <laughs> yeah, you certainly are. I mean, I'd just be in a good mood from somebody leaning over to me and saying, that's John Wick. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, anything would get a good review then, you know. Also, shout out to being like, you know, she was probably born when Teddy Roosevelt was president, and here she is. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go see John Wick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a Friday afternoon, no big deal. Yeah, it reminds me when yeah, I saw I like the imagine. the raid years ago, and there was just some elderly woman on her own there to watch the raid, like living her best life. That's that's what you have to do. I really, I mean, that's gonna be me when I'm old. But, but this this lady too. It was awesome because she she was kind of talkative throughout the movie, but just in a really endearing way. <laughs> so she would just be like, mm-hmm, yeah. Like every time John Wick would say or do something that she agreed with, she was just like in this constant conversation with the movie. It was just, it was amazing. Wow. Uh, but, okay, so Myro, Sean, uh, resident curmudgeons, people who don't like fun and karate kicks, why why did you not enjoy this i think all three of us don't like it besides you um but uh I well, didn't that's like because it. i'm right yeah, sure <laughs> i didn't like it because it was it, it it felt like there were like a, a couple you know it started off on the right foot with like the bobon fight and then the knife or the glass fight or whatever knife glass fight happening soon after um and then it just like just came down like you know to leaden pace of like talking about political intrigue i was i was telling some others it felt like they were like taking notes watching like game of thrones or something where they need to like start talking about like who is going to success this person and and what ties got cut here and how do you mm -hmm. uh 
you know, refurbish those ties and all of this stuff that I'm just like, I don't care at all about this. And then you have like, um, John Wick keep talking about like his wife at the end, like how much like that stuff means to him and being with his wife. And it just, it, it felt like it came out of nowhere. Like, like you said, it kind of feels like they wrote themselves into a corner and they had like to come up mm. with some stuff and sort of try to open up, you know, uh, let the, some, something of this world bloom, but it just all felt like very fabricated. And, um, mm-hmm. also Asia Kate Dillon sucks. Um, <laughs> at least in this, I haven't watched the TV show billions or whatever, whichever one they're on, but, um, I can't remember if it's billions or ballers. I think it's billions. Uh, it's billions. Have you watched that? One of, one of the B shows? No, I have not watched, nor will I ever watch either of the B shows, I'd say. But that's the one. What about the B movie? <laughs> uh, I good. have watched that, sure, sure. Uh, you know, I love me some Seinfeld. That's it's perhaps his finest work, so. But yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing, I think my thoughts were pretty similar to yours, Myros. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one for a simple action film. It's a simple genre films, unless you're David Cronenberg, uh, uh, pare it down a bit, guys. Um, but this movie, the first two had the same writer directors. This one had four writers, uh, does not shock me. I think the plot is a horrendous mess. Uh, again, did you like the subtitles? Oh, well, they they've been done that the whole series, right? <laughs> yeah. But at this point, everything has just started to annoy me about the franchise. Like I, I don't care. The gags are it, bad. It, the world is terrible. It, it, it's like conceived by. It, it's just like everything a ten year old thinks is cool, like jammed into this <laughs> built world, and it's like I don't give a fuck, man. And all of the dialogue that's delivered about these, I mean, like. Ian McShane can sell it and no one else can. Like, it's just like leaden, plotting nonsense. Not even Larry Fishburne. No, he's terrible in this, I'd say. Uh, Yeah, and this uh, Asia, Kate Dillon, that's right. Um, Also dreadful. And and they give her like 50 lines and they are the least charismatic person in the film, I would say. And it's just all drags to a halt. I don't like any of it. I even the fight scenes have gotten to the point where they annoy me. Like John Wick was not the raid. It, it had different choreography. It was it was like look how they're filming these gunfights. That's what it was. Oh, they have such visceral energy to them. And now everything is just it's trying to be the raid. It's not doing it that well. Uh, and nothing has any thrust because I I don't know. I I, I kind of disagree that they writ themselves uh, wrote themselves into a corner because I don't really like what was the setup for this film? Like uh, everyone wants John Wick dead. They put out a hit on his life. Okay, so couldn't that just be your movie? Uh, he's stumbling around the city. Everyone's trying to kill him. At the end. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know where the fuck all this stuff about like uh, walking in the middle of the desert uh, and meeting with some sort of I, I don't even know what the hell's going on. See, I think, it, it's um, just a fucking mess. What a fucking mess. I think uh, I had this thought. I think it was after John Wick 2 came out, which, you know, I really liked John Wick 2. It was a fun time. Um, and it, it, it was such a crescendo of, 
of this like plot like it, it seemed to it seemed like we walked out of John Wick 2 and could see exactly what was going to happen with John Wick 3 and then it did happen uh unfortunately for me and um I remember thinking like sort of like seeing that coming like hoping that it would but knowing it wouldn't hoping it would do something like I was thinking of the American that movie with John Clooney or George Clooney um like thinking like that would be a cool thing for this franchise to do to have him just be like an expat somewhere and just like be like hold up in like some hovel somewhere in like Italy and just have like a couple like huge fights or like uh like a one or two big showdowns with like one other person um like that would be cool yeah it would be except this director can't do anything but choreograph fights so uh i don't know if the movie around said couple big fights would be uh, worth your time but um well yeah yeah everything that happens between these fights is like the most graceless like put together film like i've seen in a long time at least big budget like it's just like he doesn't know how to like shoot people when they're talking and so he just like moves around the camera as like a default to like make it seem like he's doing something yeah and i think yeah oh sorry oh go ahead yeah go ahead yeah no i was just gonna say i mean one of the big disappointments is the fact that john wick 2 managed to sort of expand on the world through the action there weren't any moments where it's sort of the pace lagged because it was expanding the world via moving through different action sequences and this just feels like a chore because of how much it keeps pausing and when it does get back to the action the momentum has stalled so much it's hard to be enthusiastic about any of it yeah it it just it feels like the same fight scene occurs in this movie like six times and i'm at at some point i'm just like fucking enough enough make a 90 minute movie cut out (laughs) all of this fucking bullshit about his finger getting cut off and him swearing fealty for no reason (laughs) and this again this movie what was the setup to this movie was he's going to war with this syndicate they all want him dead and I thought, if nothing else, this was going to be the last John Wick movie. It would be uh, the crescendo. It, it might not be great, but it would go all out and it would end the series. And that's fine and well. But instead, they they made this a setup for a fourth film. And the setup for that film is identical to this one. <laughs> the, this movie ends in the exact same place it began. It's just like, well going to war with this great syndicate that everyone gives a shit about. It's like, I'm not going to go see John Wick 4. Fuck you. I can't think, yeah, but I can't until, think you of see, a... until you see that they've casted Rene Russo and I don't know. The, some, <laughs> new TV, Russo. some new TV star as like the baddie. The, the cast of Charm plays the high table. Yeah, someone from like a Ryan Murphy show. I also just uh, cannot think of a cliffhanger that's just more of a shrug in recent memory. It just sort of ends, and it's like, oh, there's going to be more of this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Fine. I'm just like, I, count me the fuck out, man. Count me out. I'm yeah, done. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I, 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 will agree, I will agree that, the, I mean, the way that the, the story arc goes, it, it does pretty much end the same way that it begins, but it's almost like it ends so they can make a better, more concise, and hopefully simpler movie with the fourth one, although uh, I doubt that'll happen based on the trajectory of the series. Uh, but I-, I think the biggest issue is there's there's a clear theme here that makes sense, 
It's just the way they have to inject all of this nonsense. Wait, Steve, to... what is that theme? Okay, Loyal. so... Uh, okay. John Wick 2, what happens when you break the rules? John Wick 3, what hap or, uh, who gets to define what the rules are and how do we enforce them based on who's breaking them? So that's it. It's, I mean, it's pretty simple. So and you find it to be a compelling examination of authority. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it that. I'm just saying, like, there, there's, there's an idea here. It's just because they have to, we have to have man in the desert and chopping our finger off and this, that, and the other thing. And there's so much just fat on here that doesn't need to be there. Uh, but I think if you make the fourth film about what the simple trajectory of this movie should have been or could have been, which is kill the people at the high table because everyone's trying to kill you. Well, that's a pretty simple movie. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know if if that's gonna happen. But I you know we'll see. Anyways, I like fun, so I enjoyed it. You guys are all assholes. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty much it. Uh, no, it's it's fine. I I totally agree with all your points. I just had a fucking great time, man. Because I had John Wick going down like ten <laughs> feet away from me. I had John Wick on the big screen. I just wish it was a horse cop that came in and arrested him. That would have been sweet. But maybe the next time. The, speaking of horses, though, the horse kick thing. Like the first time it happened, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then it's like, let me lock and load this again, like two or three more times. It's like I. I <laughs> I, that's what I knew I wasn't going to like the movie, frankly, when he stumbled into the horse barn. I was like, oh. Yeah, where was that? Was that in I have no, I, it was like Manhattan horse barn. Yeah. I, I was just like, I... I was like, I haven't been I to thought the Times movie was Square, going to but... do. Yeah, I thought the movie was going to do one thing that I thought was stupid and I would hate, and then it, I, I ended up by the end of the movie wishing they had just done that, which was literally the setup in the first... <laughs> 15 to 20 minutes it's just john wick stumbling down the street and three guys standing on a curb uh just looking up and going oh, it's john wick and then uh meeting him at an exotic location and battling and i'm like is this gonna be two hours of of this occurring ad nauseum that could get tedious real quick but yeah it gets it i i almost wish that was just a fucking movie because it would have been better than what we got it make that makes me think like it it kind of feels like a bad video game where you have to like sit through i i joked a while back that like the whole movie of loving vincent that terrible animated thing uh about vincent van Gogh, like the whole thing is like watching those dumb scenes in between like getting to play a video game an rpg cut scenes <laughs> yeah and Th that's kind of what john wick is but then every once in a while like you get to to actually play like there's like four times where you get to actually play and then you have to sit there for the other two hours and just like watch the townsfolk talk to each other and to you. You know, maybe you guys would have a little bit more perspective if you saw Godzilla in the same week, but we'll talk about that on the next episode. <laughs> well, you know, it's hard when I saw Ma in the same week. Yeah, a true classic. I, Shout I out to Blumhouse. Seeing, uh, both perhaps later today. Back to back. Oh. Back to back, the double feature. Who's All right, the well, bigger we monster, probably... Godzilla or Ma? <laughs> is that is that your new IndieWire article? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you are you writing that for Film School Rejects? Yeah, which one is Pence and which one is Trump? <laughs> oh God! 
Oh, shout out to Big Dave Earlicks. Speaking of which, uh, Alistair, you were at Cannes this past week. Yep. Uh, any any famous film journalism uh, spot uh, spottings? Any any? Well, I mean, any I, of the big ones. I assume that we'll be digging into this later, but I mean, I I did spot Big Dave out in the oh! flesh multiple times. Um, Hell yeah! What was he doing? Was he just like was he not paying his his writers well? Or like... <laughs> on, on a, I think it was in the queue for. So I was in the lowest press queue. I was in the yellow queue, and he was two tiers above me, in like the pink Ooh. press badge queue. But the queues were like adjacent, so I could just look to my right and see him queuing. And he was queuing for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, and he just looked absolutely miserable. Um, well, good. So I think he must have read some of his own writing. I, I can't, you know, <laughs> can't tell. He just he just started scrolling through his tweets from the past three years. It's just like, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> but um, you know how I know I'm living my best life is that I, under no circumstance could I ever recognize David Ehrlich in a crowd. Well, no, but- you, you would. You'd be like, that guy looks like a shitty film critic, and they, yeah, that's that's big Dave. Um, but well, wouldn't co- that be everyone in the pink queue, probably? <laughs> yeah, that's probably Well, true. one above the pink queue is the white press badge queue. This is like the creme de la creme of film critics. And one person who has a white press badge is Jeff Wells. Oh. And I cannot oh. for the life of me work out why he's got the is highest like, tier accreditation. Is it just seniority? Like, is, is he just, like, grandfathered into it? Like, I have no idea. But, like... You, you just because here's the thing so yellow badges have to wait for hours and then like say pink badges or white badges they can just show up 10 minutes before the film starts and then the guards have to stop letting lower tier press in so the important people can go and get to their seat so you just see like jeff wells rock up like 20 minutes before a film scowling at one of the security <laughs> people and like walking into the screening oh i'm sure he's really pleasant to be around did you see any fame like uh did did you see Chloe Sevigny? I did not see Chloe Sevigny, but I did see um your boy Pedro Almodovar. Very um, jealous. Yeah. Um weirdly whilst I was writing a review of Pain and Glory, I sort of turned to my left and he was like being escorted to a a press conference about that. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um Wait, wait. I, my I favorite was... film critic who I I know was there did you see the the vegan alert film critic from Letterboxd? No, I fucking didn't. And this is my biggest <laughs> regret of the festival. Because, like, every time I'd be, like, going on Letterboxd to just, like, put a link to one of my reviews, she'd already have, like, logged it, put her vegan alert credentials to a film that had only just had its world premiere. And Can, can we talk about how she's, like, playing 4D chess with film <laughs> criticism right now? Because... Everything she did for Ken was just, it was incredible. So she probably <laughs> saw like 35 movies. Every single one she gave three stars. And then her, her reviews are insane. They're, it's just like broken modernist prose. It's just like, there was a man and bad things are happening. And then a story just finishes. Uh, three stars, no, I, someone I, I, eats yogurt. <laughs> I kind of like I, I think you're onto something Steve the whole like 4D chess with film criticism because it is wild when you think about like her being able to get into the most prestigious film fest yet like not actually writing film criticism and then like 
it's it's just sort of like acceleration of like what Dude, what so many film critics are doing. Vegan nonsense is the future. Okay, we need to <laughs> we need to think of something like, yeah, uh, we we gotta we gotta hop on that train, man. I feel like this person deserves the white press pass. They've seen like uh, six hundred thousand movies or something like that. What yeah. more? Uh, what <laughs> no, greater okay. credential is there? So I, I figured uh, here's my expose for optimism vaccine on vegan film crit. Uh, okay, so. She says proudly in her letterbox profile, like, I've seen over 20,000 films or something like that. And Jack worked it out and he's like, oh, so for the past 15 years, she's watched 10 films a day or something like that. <laughs> Just something insane. And I figured it out. She has like 18,000 or 20,000 things logged on letterbox, but she hasn't seen most of the shit. Like, she didn't actually see the the lighthouse. She just wrote like... I'm not seeing this shit because I heard our Pat's oh. curb stomps a seagull vegan alert. And she just wrote that. Or uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, she's like super excited to finally see a Tarantino movie at a festival. Like she wrote it before she even went to the fucking festival. Nice. So she's just talking. That's the that's the other component that we don't think about. The extra wrinkle with vegan film criticism is you're reviewing things that you're just thinking about seeing. Do you ever think maybe she's she's doing like a performative anti-comedy bit? It's it's possible, but, but but she also does the sincere thing of like following and unfollowing people on Twitter. She does the thing where she name searches, even if you don't reference her by name. If you just make a tweet about vegan film critic, she searches vegan film critic and like always responds to anybody dunking on her. So she's not even <laughs> she's not even fun to take the piss out of. Um, nice. I, I just want to look because uh, she has given one film above three out of five. Uh, she's given Pain and Glory four out of five, um, nice. and, it, and I think it's because it only she's has my favorite film critic. <laughs> I think it is because it only has one vegan alert. There is only one vegan problem with this film. Is it somebody like drinking a glass of milk or something? So like yes, or something. <laughs> the lead character eats some yogurt. <laughs> it was a yogurt one. I knew there was a yogurt one. And then, but then. Underneath drug note, there is a ton of heroin use in this film. <laughs> no, that's that's the best part is she could watch like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it's just like vegan alert. This is a family of of you know people who eat red meat, and it's just like oh, and by the way, people are like murdered in grisly fashion. It's just like an aside. Yeah, this is the thing. Like uh, Young Ahmed, which is the Darden brothers' film about um, a young terrorist. Um, like just vegan alert. Dairy cows are chained. Nothing about like <laughs> nothing about the actual attacks. You know, yeah. <laughs> like just the absolute fucking queen. She's like uh, Andre Rublev. <laughs> a horse, a horse dies. Oh. Oh, she's given one film a half star rating. Let's see what the V. Oh, no, the vegan alert. And this is just, there is a reference to bestiality. <laughs> just a reference. Is it, is it, is it vegan to not fuck animals? <laughs> yeah, I think that would show a great appreciation for the species. <laughs> oh, my God. Just, just, she's the queen, man. Also, I don't think she slept either. I was trying to figure out how many movies... I mean, we were talking about, like, oh, she would have to see, like, ten movies a day to make her film-watching, like, actual possible. But it seems like, based on how many things she reviewed from Cannes, like, I, I think she doesn't sleep. She just watches movies 24-7. Well, and 
Sorry, I'm. That's... I, now that you've mentioned it, I am just going down a rabbit hole of her can reviews whilst you're speaking. She has given one film five stars, and it's coincidentally the only film with no vegan alert references. Um, <laughs> oh. And that is a Ken Loach's Sorry We Missed You. Like, nobody drinks milk or eats cereal in the movie. It's five stars, <laughs> you know? That's Yeah, that's good. You got to remove a star for every vegan alert that occurs. <laughs> so there we go. Finest film yeah. critic working today yeah so hey you you want to get that high rotten tomato score uh don't curb stomp a seagull you idiot <laughs> i mean it all seems kind of presumptuous how does she know the composition of the milk they're consuming or, or the yogurt <laughs> yeah, for what or if perhaps, it's soy milk perhaps it's all vegan friendly products listen i i have some some lactose intolerance issues i drink i eat my cereal with almond milk how would she know <laughs> yeah, me too. I assume there's there's some sort of vegan yogurt alternative, right? Do they have to like clearly frame the packaging? Uh, to be like, hey, no vegan alert here, guys. Continue on with our film. No, I don't know. I I mean I I only it's it's really hard to say. I I would like we'll we'll have to get her on the show next. That would go really well <laughs> for us. Oh uh, yes, for really everyone. That would. I'm sure that that'd probably be our shortest episode. Do you think she could tolerate me for more than 90 seconds <laughs> before hanging up? Oh, I'm God. Give that a note. <laughs> All right, Alistair. So aside from the, the famous faces that you encountered on your travels uh, and, and the good bread that you presumably ate uh, while, while in France, lots of, lots of baguettes, I'm sure. Uh, what were some of your favorite things that you saw during the festival? Well, I mean, my favorite film of the festival will make me sound like a basic bitch because I was expecting to go, <laughs> I was expecting to go to Cannes and be the whistleblower. You know, the guy mm. who sees the films that all the critics like give five star ratings and be like, nah, 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 that's a three out of five. Um, yeah. And it turned out that for everybody there, it was sort of a, a shrug of a year mostly. And the mm -hmm. films that were good were ones that people mostly agreed on. And my favorite ended up being the film that won the Palm d'Or, which was the Bong Joon-hun film Parasite. Um, okay, so so your your pre-written article Bong Joon-ho is canceled. That's <laughs> that's not that's not being published, right? Uh, unfortunately, not. No, um, and I put my heart and soul into why this film was problematic before I even watched it. You know, <laughs> all the different vegan alert things that I could have highlighted, but no. Yeah. The parasite feeds on human flesh. <laughs> that's that's is, is well, that no, vegan? that's not a vegan alert that's good that's, oh that's <laughs> yeah, okay if, yeah if humans are injured that's not vegan this is what we've yeah, we've learned from her insane letterbox feed <laughs> what is parasite about so parasite is about a poor working class family um it's sort of similar to jordan peele's us but a completely different beast but in terms of the basics up it's similar to jordan peele's us there's this working class family they live essentially underground in this dingy, squalid apartment. There's no Wi-Fi. There's a guy who just pisses outside their place just on a constant loop. Um, none of them are in work. And then a family friend uh, one day tells the son um, about a rich family who are incredibly stupid and they need a tutor for their daughter to help her get into university. So the son, who is completely dumb, um, manufactures some fake university diplomas, is hired to be the tutor. And once he's in, the rest of the family end up trying to work out plans to get the people currently working for that family fired so they can take the jobs instead. Once they're all hired, shit goes south. 
And I can't say anymore because it's one of the many films in the wake of Endgame where the director issued a statement to critics saying, please do not spoil this movie. So I cannot right. say anymore. Yeah, but uh, is, it, is it like uh, Supernatural? No. Um, oh, okay. the ti- yeah, the, the title, I assume, refers to just them being parasitic towards this right, family and right. taking the money. Um, but yeah, it's, it's completely different. And it is a class allegory similar to us, but without any of the sort of supernatural or horror elements. The mm-hmm. first half's essentially a heist movie as they ingratiate themselves into this family. And it's incredibly fun. Um, it has one of the biggest mid-film, because in Cannes, audiences just applaud mid-film for random scenes. <laughs> and the loudest one was for one of the heists, heists, which involved, like it ended with a shot of somebody pouring hot sauce on, uh, on a napkin. And out of context, I can just say that got the loudest applause of any film uh, I saw during the festival. Uh, And you'll, and it's, yeah, and in October, when it's released in the US, you'll be able to find out why. Oh, that's exciting. So it was a bigger pop than when, like, a couple years ago when Gaspar Noe, like, busted a load on the camera lens? (laughs) Well, Gaspar, I didn't see it, but he did bust a load on the camera lens once again because he did have, like, a midnight 50-minute not quite short, not quite film play. Um, that, oh. <laughs> yeah, that Mike, it's called Luxa Turner. I mean, it had Charlotte Gainsbourg in it. And I okay. didn't see it because it was playing at midnight. I wanted to sleep. Um, my housemate went. Uh, it, it was a midnight screening, but it didn't start till 1 a.m. because <laughs> apparently that's what they do at Cannes. They say it's a midnight oh, screening. God. Then you just sat there for an hour before it starts. Um, Gaspar Noe apparently walked in. He was booed upon arrival. Um, uh, and then it, did he just stand in front of a, a screen with the house lights on and just crank his hog <laughs> for an hour? Well, uh, from what I've gathered, that is essentially what this short film is. Um, it's, <laughs> it is Gaspar Noe's commentary on the Me Too movement. <laughs> which, oh, oh, Jesus. And, but it opens. That sounds like a joke that we would come up with for the show. But it opens with a title card saying, Only epileptics know. The, the feeling of euphoria the moment before a seizure takes place. And then it, then for like the film is completely, you know, provocative in the same boring way you'd expect. And then the final, the final 15 minutes is just excessive strobe lighting that, and you just mm. cannot see anything happening on screen. It's just a massive freak out designed to make people have seizures. And yeah, that, that oh. got into Cannes. And I'm grateful that I didn't see it, although somebody showed me, um, some video footage of that final 15 minutes that you know was just tweeted and yeah i got a migraine just from hmm. that so yeah what awesome yeah fantastic cinema it's yeah it's <laughs> called art maybe you've heard of it sean are, are you gonna are you gonna get in your your parasite joke here that that you failed to get traction on <laughs> yeah uh I, I was i asked um no one no one gave me a straight answer. Uh, do I need to see the host before I see Parasite? There's just a grin, a grin emanating uh, for that one. Um, yeah, this is just, just, just a slow clap for you on that one, Sean. Thank you. Absolutely masterful. That's the kind of content that we pay the big money for here at Optimism Vaccine. That's right. Uh, so uh, uh, you also saw The Lighthouse, which seems like it's going to make a bit of a splash. Yeah, no, The Lighthouse is one of those films that I, I went in with tempered expectations. I mean, I really liked The Witch. Um, 
So I was looking forward to this. And of course, when I turned to get to the, the queue, so the Vavitch, um, okay. and, and when I turned to get into the queue, who was at the front of the queue, but, uh, Jeff Wells and behind him, Sean's favorite critic, Charles Bromesco, um, mm-hmm. both together. Uh, so that, you know, that, that put me in high spirits. I joined. Oh. Yeah. Uh, just, just really, just stand in front of two industry giants, right <laughs> and um, yeah. So, I sat. I had no expectation to what it was because all that had been released was that one press image of Rob Pattinson and Willem Dafoe in full-on Captain Haddock gear. Um, no context as to what the film was about, um, and that's probably the best way to see it. Um, I think that a lot of the films. Uh, surprises haven't exactly been ruined. I mean, you know that Robert Pattinson murders a seagull. I mean, that's in the first half hour. So, I mean, vegan alert points taken away right there. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> but, yeah, what the most surprising thing is the fact that it is more of a black comedy. It's wouldn't describe it as horror. It's just like a very dark comedy mixed with, like, moments of psychosis. And walking out, I heard... Robbie Collin, the critic from The Telegraph, uh, speaking to somebody and he compared it to There Will Be Blood in a way because it's about sort of male mania. And that's that's a good call. Um, other, others have, you know, highlighted that it's German expressionism in the stylization. I've heard some comparisons to Bergman, which is really odd because I don't think Bergman has ever made anything that could be described as an out-and-out comedy. Um, but yeah, so lots of people have just been praising it to the high heavens and it is making me worried that when it comes out people will see it and be like this isn't that funny or this isn't that scary because nobody can really agree what genre is best to describe this film as and uh, i'm sure when a24 do their inevitable meme campaign um i'm not sure what it will be something about seagull death or robert pattinson wanking over mermaids one of those two will be the cornerstone of the ad campaign (laughs) <laughs> isn't it uh, isn't it shot in like 1.1 to 1 or something like that yeah yeah mm. exactly it's i mean it's it's not a commercial play but i mean if this does end up getting released wide like the vavich did then you know fair play to a24 you know all of their mm. campaigns their insufferable marketing campaigns have been worth it all along Actually, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Alistair, I, I I appreciate your insight, but I I just I mentally checked out when you said that uh, you know Bergman isn't isn't a hilarious filmmaker. Have you seen <laughs> Fanny and Alexander? I mean, from the from the title, uh, that's what I call you know? a knee slapper. Um, yeah, if it makes it to the multiplex, I'll just be pissed that High Life never made it. Still, but um, yeah, I mean, First Reformed made it made it that far yeah it's also one of these that because of the precise aspect ratio you know there are going to be stories of cinemas playing like stretching it out to fill the whole screen and that's just going to be awful um because that the, oh. like when the like years ago when the artist came out that was the big story of people not playing it in the right aspect ratio and like nobody giving a <laughs> shit because it was the artist um <laughs> but with the lighthouse yeah no like Multi, if it goes into multiplexes, they will be stretching it to fill the whole screen because patrons just wanting a Robert Pattinson horror comedy Square. are just going to be yeah they they won't want that aspect ratio. I don't know our our multiplex pulled off that fucking ghost story. Oh god, yeah. 
I wouldn't have been too upset if they mangled the, the whole thing, but whatever. You wanted to. Uh, I don't you know that I, pie to look a little the, bigger. <laughs> yeah, my local multiplex. I don't think they've ever adjusted for any sort of aspect ratio. But if if I go to the the hip cool indie theater, the Oriental. They actually have uh, there's there's a guy and and he just runs up and there's and he actually like physically pulls a rope on a curtain and it fixes everything. So <laughs> yeah, that place is legit. DIY projectionist. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean seriously, it, it's it's such a it's a beautiful building, but also you're in there and you're like, this place literally hasn't been updated in eighty years. <laughs> I mean, clearly they, they threw like a, a digital projector up there, but that was their only investment. That's that's all. But it keeps you on your toes because sometimes you get a spring sticking out of the seat directly <laughs> into your ass, and that's a great feeling. <laughs> so the lighthouse is one, you know, one of the most delightful surprises of Cannes, um, especially just in terms of it being more of a crowd-pleasing dark comedy than you know anybody expected going in. We're all expecting some sort of foreboding, uh, existential dread movie that we didn't get. Um, so. As for genre films, that and Parasite of the High Watermark, in terms of the low watermark, it happened right on day one in the first film I saw, which was The Dead Don't Die, oh, right. um, which was oh. a massive disappointment. Um, Jim Jamush's worst film, uh, made even worse because they got us into the cinema after queuing for like two and a half hours. We got in, and then instead of playing the film, they made us sit through the opening ceremony that was happening at the big theater next door in unsubtitled <laughs> French. So we had to like oh, great. sit and endure like this montage of uh, Alejandro Gonzalez and Yaratu films, a soundtrack to Crazy by Niles Barkley. Um, oh, that Myra, was a, you would have <laughs> loved this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, these are all That's my a convergence things. of all your interests, Myra. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, very true. And like in Yawatu then giving a long speech and it cut to Bill Murray just sleeping in the audience. That was actually kind of <laughs> worth it. Um, but yeah, and then the film happened, all of this build up and it is just his laziest film. Like he's usually good at switching between different genres. Like he can do the Western, he can do a samurai film. And, you know, here, the, the, the entire sort of thesis is the fact that everybody knows what happens in a zombie film. So why try? And this is coupled with like incredibly boring just lowest common denominator political commentary. Like it's a film about climate change and capitalism and it just makes you realize that, yeah, Jammu should probably stick to not making political <laughs> films. Like when the high watermark of uh, sort of political satire is Steve Buscemi wearing a red cap saying, keep America white again. <laughs> like maybe political commentary is not your forte. <laughs> a little blunt there. Yeah. yeah, and also just, it does like the worst thing that any comedy does which is lazy meta jokes, like jokes that where characters basically call out something that you've just seen happening as, and that's the joke. So in the first five minutes, the opening credits play and we hear this theme tune that gets repeated like a million times during the film. And then it cuts to the car and Bill Murray and Adam Driver are, you know, going to the police station and that theme tune is playing again. And Bill Murray is, just going on oh i recognize this song where do i hit you know where have i heard this from and adam driver's like you know where you know this from and this like interchange keeps happening for like a minute and a half before we get to the punchline of adam driver saying because it's the film's theme tune and there were loads of things like that um later in the film there's a uh, bill murray pleading with adam driver asking why he knows everything that's going to happen punchline because it's in the script 
it is so fucking lazy and yeah as somebody who really likes uh many of jim jamush's films you know i was just so disheartened um my housemate uh gus edgar chan who also was writing for film inquiry he liked it and he liked sort of the nihilism of it because of the fact that it doesn't the fact that it's not even attempting to try make a commentary because we already know how fucked things are and my response is simply, then why make the film if you've got nothing to say and the jokes aren't interesting? Sure. And yeah, it was it was so disappointing. Um, but yeah. Especially for somebody who doesn't work all the time. Like I could see that happening for like, you know, uh, Woody Allen last decade where it's just like, well, I'm going to work today. Um, what, I, what am I going to make? Uh, I'll make a movie about why it doesn't even matter. I just want to go to work. But Jim Jarmusch doesn't <laughs> seem like that type of guy. But um, I, it, I, I it don't was, even know what what was his last movie. Like uh, Patterson. It, it was, uh, Patterson. Yeah, Patterson. Oh, Patterson. Patterson. Okay. But uh, as soon as I found out that this was like yeah a political allegory, I was just like uh, the, the, it sounds awful. Like I mean, Dead Man is a political film, but it's like it's somewhat oblique not all the time but like there's there's abstractions to it and expressionistic things going on that that don't just keep it from being like look i'm trying to make a point here yeah and also like the marketing is doing like a good job of trying to hide like its meta inclinations because like they played the trailer again before john wick yesterday which is i was never expecting to see it played in a multiplex but they played the trailer and yeah they have essentially made it look like a straight up horror comedy like pastiche of the 70s when it really is just a lazy political commentary first and foremost and jamush just I guess, you know, he's like, well, I haven't done a, a 70s style B-movie yet. Let's do one of those. Like, it's two half-assed ideas thrown together by a filmmaker who I've, you know, previously trusted to make things so much better than this. Yeah, I've well, see, this is, I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I, I have tickets to a, a free screening of this on Monday and I was going to go and, and maybe write about it, but now it's just like, no, I think I'll stay home. <laughs> Because well, this is this is like this is the totally not only is it is it lazy and stupid based on what I'm hearing from you, but this is the kind of shit like when me and Myros are, are finding movies for cost of content are like you know worst things streaming on Amazon uh, podcasts that we do cheap plug there thank you. Uh, this this is a common genre thing where you have people who are oh I'm a fan of horror movies and I know stuff about horror movies. And now I want to make a horror movie. So it's just winking and nudging. And it's just this lazy, cynical, going through the motion thing where they feel like they're, you know, it's it's a movie for fans of this genre by fans of this genre. But then Jarmusch takes it a step further. He's like, well, I'm just making a self-referential thing and I actually don't give a shit. <laughs> so it's got like the ham-handed politics of like late era Romero mm -hmm. with like the dumb fuck comedy of later a Mel Brooks sounds like a sign me the fuck up. <laughs> God, it's a nightmare movie. Um, so oh. yeah, are there any other like uh, films in the program that have sort of tickled your fancy that you want me to sort of oh, give you the Let's talk about on? some tickling. Oh, yeah. uh, I think we got to get to the, the big round film in the room. <laughs> yeah. The, there's a, there's a peach that's catching my eye. Uh, can we talk about the Butts movie? So, yeah. Um, wait, I, wait, 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 wait. No, no. 
We're not going to talk about the Butts movie because we're going to play the Butts theme song. All right, let's put it in right here. All right. Okay, that was great. Can I uh, can I hear that again? By any chance? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We're always happy to play, to play everything <laughs> multiple times. It's 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 very All right, convenient. All right, queuing it up now. And you know what? Third time's a charm. Just once more for me. <laughs> All right, and go. Perfect. All right, Alistair, what is the, what is the Butts movie? I don't even... <laughs> so, the Butts movie is a new film by Abdelatif Kachish, who made Blue is the Warmest Colour um, a few years ago, which was a, a wonderful film, and he's decided to essentially use his Palme Darwin to self-finance a trilogy <laughs> of films loosely based on a book, but he's stripped the entire narrative out of the book, and he's just making it like some sort of hangout movie with this dull kid and his sort of group of friends on like the south coast of France in the mid 90s. It's very loosely based on the book that it's, uh, it's taken from, which was written by the same guy who wrote the film The Class, um, which was a Palme d'Or winning film like 10 years ago. Um, so I didn't see this one, but I saw the previous one, which came out in the UK earlier this year. That previous- They're each like three yes. hours long, right? Four, so, two to four hours long. Yeah, so the first one was uh, Mektub Malov Cantu Una, which premiered at Venice in 2017, released in France sometime in 2018, and like made fuck all money, uh, to the extent that his finances basically pulled the plug on giving him money to edit the second and third films in this trilogy, and he had to sell his palm door for Blue is the Warmest Colour <laughs> in order to finance making the second and third. Uh, oh my God. So, so the first film is just an absolute bar uh, of a movie. Um, it opens with the lead character, who I can only assume is a director surrogate, um, staring through the window as his cousin like fucks a girl for like 10 minutes. He's just like at the window peeking, and you're just like, how... Do these two people not notice this guy is just there watching? And then nothing happens. It's just conversation, the most mundane conversations for two and a half hours. Then they go to a nightclub. Um, the big dramatic arc of the nightclub scene is, will this guy have a threesome or not? Then the film ends. This Oh, cliffhanger. Yeah. So the second film, uh, Intermezzo, uh, or Intermezzo, I'm not quite sure uh, how much of a European accent I need to put on to, to pronounce that. Um, it's basically, it's a, from what I've read, it's a two scene film. There's the first scene is 45 minutes long and it's all the characters on the beach talking to each other. And then the second scene is a three hour scene in a nightclub 
which features a cut to a 15 minute scene of Cunnilingus that <laughs> is non-simulated and plays out in its entirety. Uh, ah, is, it, does he get the threesome then? <laughs> well, apparently this second film ends with a cliffhanger for the third. So I'm not quite sure where it goes. Oh, the reason that, the reason that I bailed on it is simply because the can schedulers are basically trying to punish critics for the, the the crime of wanting to see films, and they put this four-hour sex movie on 10 p.m. on one of the final nights of the festival, <laughs> meaning it would finish at 2 a.m. when they would be screenings the next morning from 8 a.m. Uh, oh God! So, so I, knowing that I didn't like the previous film, just made a note to skip it. Um, but somebody who did did uh, sit and see Mech of My Love Intermezzo is uh, one of the finest film critics at, at Cannes, um, Big Dave, David Ehrlich himself. Yeah. And, um, you know, I haven't read uh, an article by him that's been this alive, uh, this excited to be <laughs> talking about something um, since oh, he's... Oh, Big Dave is an ass man. <laughs> like, Let me tell you. I'm an ass man! This is his most ass-heavy article since his talk about 17-year-old Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. (laughs) Um, So, here we go. No filmmaker has ever loved anything as much as Abdelatif Kachish loves butts. Now, you immediately grabbed, like, wow, Ehrlich, fantastic. I immediately grabbed myself. Yeah, so bringing up the rear of this year's Cannes lineup in more ways than one, Kachish's... (laughs) Mech to my love, Intermezzo, diverts about 60% of its runtime to extreme close-ups of jiggling female derrieres. And while that horrifyingly unexaggerated statistic may sound like a bit of a red flag to begin with, it only gets worse when you consider that Intermezzo is the same length as Lawrence of Arabia. So, IndieWire's word count... (laughs) Lawrence of Arabia. So, IndieWire's word count means that he essentially has to divert like 2,000 words to butt puns. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to try and find some... Do you think that Andy Wire was, like, commissioned this? Like, asked him <laughs> to go see this? How, how does this stack up to the 1997 Jamie Foxx vehicle booty call? <laughs> I mean, It's actually got dual Fox. It's got Vivica A. Fox, too, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Given that Intermesso features... More ass than any movie since Oh Hazard Balthasar and features an unsimulated oral sex scene that where a woman grinds her vagina on a man's face in a cramped nightclub bathroom for somewhere between 10 and 15 uninterrupted minutes. The movie's only hope for US distribution might be for Kachish to broker a deal directly with Pornhub. And it's only a matter of time before that scene is on there anyway. So he might as well make some money off it. You know. Clever. Big Dave. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's September 1994, and all your favorite characters are still prowling the beaches of Seti looking for some new butts. Like, even, <laughs> even, the, even the plot description is Ehrlich horned up. He hates this film, and yet it somehow up, unleashed something inside of him that he just cannot control. Right. He is, oh God, he's so good. Uh, okay, so I, I, feel, I feel like we need an Ehrlich, an Ehrlich, uh, like a theme song. So <laughs> my my initial thought was juveniles back that ass up, but then I, I thought about it a little bit more. And Alistair, I don't know how familiar familiar you are with uh, WWE Attitude Era professional wrestling, <laughs> but 
there was a guy uh he was a wrestler his name was billy gunn but he he went by the nickname mr ass and his theme song is just a guy singing i'm an ass man so what if we just had that as a drop for every time we talk about big dave myros can we make that happen uh yeah yeah i'm an ass man so do we have to make uh, drops for every recurring character? <laughs> do we have a Devin Faraci drop forthcoming? Yeah, no, our Devin Faraci drop is we just play like Buddhist meditation music. <laughs> we should um, fucking do Edia. Our, do... We're getting some Edia going. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should do our due diligence in talking about Kachich and say that like it seems like he made this movie... Uh, via getting his cast members drunk so that they would be uh, submissive to his terrible sex scenes. Yeah, no, and um, from what I was told at the press screening, the cast were there and many of the cast members walked out during the film, as did many members of the press. Uh, I can't imagine. So, yeah, um, and as you can guess, Ehrlich mentions that in one sentence before getting back to funny horny talk about butts um <laughs> the, the nightclub sequence quickly stretches into an endurance test of the high order as the girls dance cheek to cheek on stage and kashish <laughs> lingers on cloaks up close-ups of Ophelia's jack hammering ass for several minutes at a time only to cut- <laughs> what does that even mean <laughs> jack how, does, how do you have a jack hammer ass oh this sentence isn't even finished only to cut away to some <laughs> other business in the club before returning to Ophelia's jackhammering ass for several more minutes. <laughs> so um, nice just just an twice. ass just pounding itself against a concrete floor until it cracks open. What's also what's also sad about this uh, from a, a different level, not as dark, uh, is that. Um, the when you talk about the nightclub scene like in blue is the warmest color like there's like dancing scenes and it's like very moving and just uh very alive cinema in a, in a much different way um and to see him just like sort of debase his skills if those were his on display in that movie i didn't see like uh secret of the grain or um Black Angus or whatever that one was called. Can't remember. But um Vegan Alert. Yeah. Uh but it looks very it looks I'll just say it looks very problematic from the cover. But um uh anyway, it, it just seems like uh, like what are you doing? Well and this is this is another thing too where I, it's hard to tell with this guy, but it seems like he's used the spotlight to basically instead of doing anything interesting he just wants to be a provocateur right you know it is it, this is this is maybe on, not quite on the same level but basically on the same level as you know filming yourself jerking off and then blasting the audience with a strobe light for 15 minutes there's no i i, I just don't see why you have to do something like this i don't get the point of it okay so i gotta the, tell you give so me give me 10 gaspar noes I, I say give me all your gaspar noes before i watch this fucking thing well, I just want to say that so the, the sequence that um, I assume is the one where Kachish got his cast drunk uh, and made them perform sex acts is the Cunnilingus scene. Um, let's listen to David Ehrlich praise that scene as the best in the film <laughs> right now. 
When Chekhov's cunnilingus is finally resolved in the film's last hour, an awfully <laughs> scrapes a crotch over a man's face with the violent purpose of someone trying to remove a stain, it doesn't just feel like the director is getting his rocks off. On the contrary, it seems as though Kashish is remembering his most effective trick from Blue is the Warmest Colour and once again finding a visceral way to express sex as a soul-cleansing experience of some kind. In an age oh of God. rampant online pornography, that's almost an impressive feat. You can only hope that Kashish has learned not to dehumanise his cast, though his recent accusation of sexual assault doesn't inspire confidence. What what? <laughs> Let me just throw that away as an aside at the end. <laughs> Holy shit! And that's why ah. Big Dave is the best in the business. He is. He's always swinging for the fences. Knock him down a, a color rug or two. <laughs> yeah, you, you've, you've, Big Dave has been knocked down to the yellow pass. I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, just happily give me the pink pass. Like I can, you know. Well, actually, I don't want to sit through five hours of jackhammering asses, but you know, yeah. anything else. My God. That's that's something. So uh, ass movie, maybe maybe avoid that one. And I, I didn't even know because this is how film Twitter works and Twitter in general, which is just a, a direct injection of brain poison every single day. Jury Cat, I just saw people tweeting about the butt movie, <laughs> but it was with zero context. And then someone's just like, yeah, like like the whole movie is just shots of butts. And my thought was, ha ha, funny butts. But this is not ha ha, funny butts. Yeah. Like what the fuck, man? Yeah, and like. To the credit of other critics, like people are writing about this in line with how problematic it is, and Ehrlich is just like, ha-ha, butts. So, yeah, maybe read any other review, but this is why I chose it as the shit article to to bring for your enjoyment this I, episode. I appreciate that, because, you know, we, we love our IndieWire articles, we love our Film School Rejects articles, so... Thank you, Alistair, for this this gift that you've <laughs> given us. Clearly Big Dave's best work since his Lost in Translation review so many years ago. Yeah. Oh, not to be outdone by uh, his his Domino review, uh, the new De Palma movie. I won't get into it, but um, some, some really just ace stuff in there, uh, if you're interested. Um but uh, Alistair, I wanted to ask you on a personal level. Like, do you did you enjoy your time at Canada? Do you think you'll go back next year? Um, well, I mean, this year was sort of a, a rare one in case because we managed to get an Airbnb for relatively a relatively cheap price, um, which meant I was able to go and do it. Um, so I'm not sure if I'll be able to go back next year. I would love to go back, but my ice. I'm now thinking more along the lines of like ticking off other film festivals that I could do. So apparently the cheapest big one to do is Berlin. So that could be my one yeah. for next year. Um, so yeah. And that's in February as well. And who doesn't love uh, going from Berlin the, in February? Yeah, exactly. The South of France in summer to like Eastern Europe in like the dead of winter. Oh, sounds lovely. Yeah. Gray skies as far as the eyes can see. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, it, it's it's hard, man, because I don't know if, if, if for our listeners out there, this may come as a surprise, but film criticism is not a, uh, a lucrative industry to be in. And this shit is expensive, you know, especially if you're if you're traveling abroad to go to the film festivals because it's, you know, it's it's room and board, but it's also just God flights. Good God. And How much does it cost to fly to France from, you know, America? Eight hundred dollars at least. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, at the minute, 
it's okay to fly from Britain to France because we're in this thing called the EU and it's really great that we didn't have a referendum where people in this country voted to get out of it. It's really great that never happened and that flights Wait, to I thought, I thought you were rebranding as the pro-Brexit film critic. <laughs> what happened? Well, I, I have been making this joke um, to people when they're asking me how can, when, because um, on one day I went to a cafe, I bought a tuna sandwich. No, sorry, I bought a vegetarian sandwich. I bit into it and it was filled with tuna. And <laughs> exactly, you won't get that sort of shit over here. Vegan alert. Exactly, you won't get that shit <laughs> over here. And that is why I'm now pro-Brexit. That makes sense. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Hey, this is a politics-free safe space, guys. Uh, <laughs> capitalism is, is fine. Everything's going fine. Uh, let's not talk about it. You know, we got to get our view count up with our middle-of-the-road content. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so no, no endgame spoilers here, guys. Um, we're we're excited for the new Batman movie, except we're not because Robert Pattinson is a, a, a twinkly girl vampire and we don't like that. So that's bad. Uh, I mean, politics maybe are bad. if you like it, that's fine. You know, either both sides have merit, I'd say. On, on oh, this yeah. And every oh issue. yeah. Welcome, welcome to the centrist <laughs> film review. <laughs> oh, it's like God. 15 minutes of cunnilingus. Mm, maybe good, maybe bad. <laughs> How drunk was the cast? We'll never know. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, the world is hell. Uh, Alistair, is there is there anything else you want to tell us about Can? Uh, any any hot tips for people who who may be traveling to the south of France for for of the film festival at some point in the future? If you could give the Optimism Vaccine crew one word of advice for attending a big film festival like this, what would it be? Um. Well, the advice is always best to just do grocery shopping the first day that you're there so that you're not having to rely on going into the town itself and having to you know buy food there because that is where most of the cost ends up racking up um if you mm. followed any critic during uh can um the can mcdonald's became like one of the most tweeted about things especially because one day timothy chalamet just randomly went to the can mcdonald's um <laughs> so even he's you know trying to find a cheap meal uh, somewhere near near the croissette. Um, but yeah, no, shopping in advance is my top tip, mainly because I did that and then ended up forgetting to wake up early enough to make food to take with me during the day. And the one day I did do that, the security guards confiscated it. So yeah, eat. What? Yeah, they. I had like a banana in my bag. And when I went to go see a film called Baku Rao, um, they took it out, they like took it from my bag and binned it right in front of me. Like my laptop, my electronics that were in my bag, completely fine. The banana note thrown into the bin right in front of me. Well, I mean, who, who among us has not done, a, you know, a, a filmed a movie illegally for an HD camera <laughs> torrent using a banana? Yeah, I mean, it, it's insane. Um, it's a classic uh, James Bond trick. And uh, Sean was saying, like, during the festival, that it would just be hilarious if, after all, the people went through security, like, an hour later, there were, like, HD rips of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just, like, ready to torrent. Like, that would just be amazing. I, I would be super into that. They, they have them out of, um, of Dead Don't Die now, but they weren't taken at can. But uh, I can't imagine anything... Less interesting at the moment than watching a cam rip of that I know, movie. Of, of all the ones you could have gotten, you had to get that one. <laughs> Jesus. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and just in terms of films, I'll just, like, rattle through 
uh, a few that I do recommend seeing when they arrive on uh, international non-festival shores. Um, so as well as Parasite and The Lighthouse, um, I highly recommend Pain and Glory, the new Almodovar, um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which does feature uh, a scene of a woman lighting a portrait of a lady on fire, to which I turned to my friend and whispered, that's the portrait of a lady on fire. Uh, he groaned. <laughs> I've got an elderly woman in Milwaukee to introduce you to. You guys would be great friends. Wait, Alistair, could you uh, do me a favor and uh, include any vegan alerts we might want to keep an eye out oh, for these films? You yeah, recommend? shit, right. I've got her film diary right in we, front of me. Right, so, so Portrait of a... We've got to be sensitive to this part of our audience. So Portrait of a Lady on Fire has no vegan alert, but she's only given it three and a half out of five. So I think her rating system is flawed, um, to be quite honest with you. Uh, <laughs> what's what what about the movie uh, I don't know if you give a recommendation to this or not there's some movie that came out that there's a lot of vegan alerts for I remember but it's just about like French noblemen like fucking and being mean to animals uh, yeah I think that's Liberté which I did not yeah, see yeah that's the one um, she's given that half a star but the vegan alert is just the one that I mentioned earlier there is a reference to bestiality additional note ah. additional note there is extreme violence and humiliation of human beings <laughs> yeah just just side note yeah. Um, but yeah, other fantastic things. Um, Beanpole, which was a film in Uncertain Regard, which is a Russian film. It's the second film by a director whose name I'm going to mangle, uh, Kantemir Balagov. Um, it's a post-World War II drama about two women who fought in the war. They're now returning, and one of them clearly has feelings for the other um, and goes to drastic uh, stakes to sort of separate uh, the family life uh, so and all of the other obstacles in order to be with this woman um it's lots of people have compared it to kubrick um and vegan nut uh, just has one alert uh, a girl is violently run over by a train uh so there you go <laughs> what's that have to do with the veganism uh that was just an additional note yeah oh, maybe okay. she was a carnivore and deserved it but that's the thing i think that vegan alert is slacking there because i know for a fact that there was like a dinner sequence with people eating meat in that film like i'm pretty oh. fucking certain uh, so, oh. Vegan Alert. Vegan Alert, you're on notice. Vegan Alert's cancelled. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm just now scrolling through to try and find the films I like that have good Vegan Alert notes. Um, uh, I also really liked Little Joe, um, which was the English language debut of an Austrian director named Jessica Hausner. It's very like Yorgos Lanthimos. Some people compared it to Michael Haneke. It's essentially, it's a sci-fi in the 70s sci-fi vein. It's basically like, what if Yorgos Lanthimos remade The Day of the Triffids? Um, it's, oh. I had a lot of fun with it. It was one of the most divisive films at Cannes because um, it does have an allegory that reads problematic if you probe into it. Um, but the most problematic thing, of course, is the vegan alert that there's a reference to a, dad, uh, to a dead rat and a dog is put down. Those are the two... Uh, Two things to watch out for in Little Joe. Um, so walk, don't run to Little Joe because of that. It's uh, <laughs> a good pull quote. Yeah. I'll take it. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, she's she's uh, logged the first Mech to My Love film. Oh, no. It's just one of those, I'm considering watching this at Cannes. Fuck off. Like, yes. give me a proper review. <laughs> the best review. Thinking about seeing yeah. it. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, might watch I'm this you, tonight. The absolute queen. The absolute queen. Okay, and uh, uh, on, on our new on our new centrist uh, vegan film podcast that we're we're transforming optimism vaccine into, 
uh, we're gonna name her the the film crit Khaleesi because people like that <laughs> when you when you call them that. So, uh, also, I just want to mention like this isn't obviously I've discussed that I hated this film, but the dead don't die. Her vegan alerts are amazing. Skinned chicken shown rotting. Tom Waits <laughs> eats chicken. A, a man tastes cat food. Additional notes, it's pretty graphic with lots of blood and zombies eating human entrails. It's like literally humans eating humans? Like, <laughs> I mean... Is, is it a vegan alert? Is it is it a vegan alert if a zombie eats a person? Apparently not. Apparently no. not. Okay. No. Um, so yeah, and then just a few more titles to just rattle through because these are the ones she hasn't seen and has not put a vegan alert together for. She's been slacking. Um, mm -hmm. I am problematic and I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, it is not problematic for the reasons that people are going to assume it is going in, but Brad Pitt's character arc is one of the most, oh boy, think peace alert uh, ready character arcs of quite some time. Um, I greatly enjoyed that, um, especially going to enjoy people seeing it thinking, oh, is Tarantino transforming Sharon Tate into a, a strong hero? Uh, no, he's just going to have her show her feet at multiple instances because that's Tarantino. Um, That's what he does. And uh, I also enjoyed um, uh, Takashi Miike's new film, First Love, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, it's basically just, it, it starts off standard generic Yakuza movie and then turns into violent slapstick. Um, in a way that I really appreciate. Basically, Takashi Miike no. fans are going to yeah, love that's, it. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if, if you were to say that summary for a Takashi Miike film, we, there's probably at least like 30 great Takashi Miike films that you could exactly. get that summary into. So. Um, but, apparently, but from like looking at his filmography, since he made his 100th film, he has been slowing down a bit. Like he's making two films a year instead of the usual three now. So he's like, oh, he's taking what? a rest. Slack it off, buddy. And uh, yeah, that was in the director's <laughs> fortnight. And also in the director's fortnight was a film called Deer Skin, um, which was a film that I was expecting to hate because it's from the director of that film, Rubber. Um, that crap killer tire movie that's just people walking around talking about, you know, cinematic archetypes, you know, instead of mm. doing the thing that you want it to do. Uh, but Deerskin's very funny. It's got uh, Jean Dujardin from The Artist as a man who is in the middle of a midlife crisis. He leaves his wife and moves to the French countryside uh, and basically shells out his life savings on a secondhand Deerskin jacket, which he then starts getting psychotic and believes that it's telling him to murder people so it can be the only jacket in existence and he the only person wearing a jacket in existence so anybody wearing a jacket he takes out and i had a lot of fun with it <laughs> and it's 75 minutes long so thumbs up oh uh, door right yeah. there 75 minutes and i'll just close out uh my top 10 of the festival with a zombie child which is a uh, bertrand Bonello's uh, new film uh his follow-up to nocturama um which attempts to take the zombie film back to its Sort of, it's roots in Haitian folklore. Um, there's a lot to unpack after just one viewing. It's a commentary on cultural appropriation and colonialism, and it doesn't fully add up after one viewing. But it's very interesting, and its ideas are dense. And I want to just jump back into it again. Uh, so that's Zombie Child, but Zombie without an E. Uh, there you go. Oh. So, classic uh, Fulci style, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those are some things to jump into. Uh, yeah. Can, awesome. baby. <clears throat> All right, Alistair, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to wrap things up pretty soon. Uh, 
before we do that, we got we got to do our putover segment. Do you know how this works? Yes. I mean, I've actually clearly you listen to every single episode <laughs> and you love us unconditionally. I so. have prepared something to put over, but I have a feeling it's oh. something that anybody outside of the UK will have to legally obtain. So, oh no, yeah. is it is it an episode of EastEnders? <laughs> um, unfortunately, not. But not that far off. <laughs> Oh, okay. I mean, that works for me. That works for me. So, Alex, what are you what are you putting over this week? Um, so I'm two episodes into a new British miniseries uh, called The Virtues, which is from uh, writer director Shane Meadows, who's a social realist filmmaker. I don't know if his films Dead Man's Shoes or This Is England have sort of are, people are aware of those outside the UK, but like I, I think Myros and I have both seen This Is England. Uh, the other one I'm not so familiar with. Oh, but, no, I've uh, seen yeah. I've seen Dead Man's Shoes as well. It was it was floating around here a while back. Uh, it it kind of it got distribution. Yeah, so I mean he's very well known in the UK, like more so than sort of Ken Loach or Mike Lee, who are the people who you'd associate with social realist uh, British filmmaking. Um, and his new uh, miniseries is called The Virtues. It stars Stephen Graham uh, as a man who. When we were first introduced to him, his nine-year-old son and ex-wife are moving to Australia and he's just in this the northern British town of Sheffield. His life's seeming to go in a downward spiral because of this. And over the course of the two episodes so far, we slowly see him, uh, without explanation, buy a ticket over to, over to Ireland um, to meet with some long-lost family to sort of get to grips with something in his childhood that is now coming back to haunt him now that he doesn't have the distractions of his family. And to say any more would be to spoil it, but it unfolds very slowly. Um, it isn't like misery porn, as its premise would suggest, like there are moments of humour that elevate it. And Stephen Graham is excellent, and it's far better than his performance in, as the first manager in Rocketman, currently in cinemas. Like, if you want some Stephen Graham, head on to the Pirate Bay and watch The Virtues. It's <laughs> a good plug. I like that. Myros, what are you putting over? Uh, I haven't seen a ton. I like that Chambers show on Netflix. It's a pretty uh, ace uh, Twin Peaks riff. Um, yeah. Jack's wife actually uh, turned us on to that, but I, I gave it a shot. She was right. It's a lot more interesting than most of the stuff you'll find uh, on Netflix. So, yeah, it's it's flawed, but it, it kind of takes the the Twin Peaks premise and, and does something a little more interesting than what modern TV has decided uh, Twin Peaks homage is, which is just a uh, white teenager dies uh Let's solve the murder. It, it's not that. So that's a Scooby Doo homage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's again, it's not a perfect thing, but uh, it, it's worth watching. It's worth watching. If you're a Twin Peaks yeah. fan, you'll you'll enjoy this to an extent. You'll you'll get some. Uh, uh, what, what's the name of it again? Enjoyment of it. It is called Chambers. It's it's Chambers. one of the many Netflix originals that you will never hear of because they do not promote. Oh. Is it about Tom Chambers? Yes, that's what it's about. Just go in <laughs> with that expectation, and uh, everything will be great. Sean, how about you? What are you putting over? Uh, I just watched um, this morning. I watched this movie called Boom with an exclamation point at the end of it, um, like mafia. Is that is like, that like Kevin that James? <laughs> oh, yes. here comes the boom! Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Or, uh, or the saliva song where they go click, click, boom, because it's a it's an action film trailer in two thousand two. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a making of feature or like an oral history of of that. 
Um, <laughs> no, it's a this 1968 film with Elizabeth Taylor and her then husband Richard Burton, uh, who also starred together in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. But um, I put it on because I uh, shout shout just put it out uh, on a new Blu-ray um, with a commentary track with. Um, John Waters and it's apparently John Waters favorite film and um, I put it on kind of like not really knowing what to expect um, and it's bonkers uh, it's so cool um, it's just like this this widescreen um, mo- like movie that takes place in this mansion on the Mediterranean Sea and Elizabeth Taylor is just like on a, a total binge and she's like dying slowly and just kind of like just being driven into madness and Richard Burton plays this poet who like washes up ashore and they just like kind of talk at each other for two hours and like get drunk and wear Elizabeth Taylor wears like 80 different outfits and Richard Burton is dressed up in like a samurai's robe with like a sword for for like a long period of time and (laughs) um it's just like just beautifully shot um it's really it's really wild and I I I could tell or I, I it wasn't um it became clear to me why John Waters would like such a thing quite quite quickly but uh so i'm excited to listen to his commentary but yeah boom very cool awesome awesome well this week i'm gonna i'm gonna throw you guys a bone because uh you you are people with uh terrible taste terrible opinions and everything and you didn't like john wick 3 very much so i actually saw another movie just this past week called avengement oh yeah starring scott adkins and let me tell you if, if you're looking for something, if, if John Wick 3 didn't scratch the itch you're looking for and you want something a little more scaled back, a little more raw and rough around the end, edges, Avengement is fantastic. Uh, it's got this kind of nonlinear narrative structure uh, where it follows this guy who gets sent to prison and he escapes and he's trying to kind of enact revenge on the people who who got him stuck in prison. But Adkins is a badass. The fight choreography is fantastic. Uh, I mean, good lord! Scott Adkins has a sawed-off shotgun, and his and his teeth are like uh, metal dentures, like Jaws in, in James Bond. So that alone, I think, is is reason to see this one. But it's uh, I don't know if it's if it's streaming anywhere. If it's like video on demand, it is probably yeah, available, on yeah, on the internet in some some way, shape, or form. But uh, definitely worth checking out. Super cool. Super. I, I don't think fun is the right word, but highly entertaining. And uh, also great Cockney accents. Shout out to the Cockney accent. Doesn't get enough love around here. So, all right, gentlemen, that about wraps things up. Uh, Alistair, where can people find you on the internet if they want to bother you? Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at yes, it's Alistair, and uh, yeah, you can see my writing on Film Inquiry and the Digital Fix. Fantastic, uh, Sean. How about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Glennis and Letterboxd at Sean Glennis. And that's where you'll find all of your enthusiastic takes, right? That's right. Uh, Sean, <laughs> um, just out of curiosity, have you done a vegan alert for your log of Boom? Boom. Uh, I don't think there's any vegan... Uh, Nobody's wearing any furs? Th- well, there might be some like r- some like uh, fur rugs or something in this like 
uh, mm-hmm. uh, crazy mansion, but there's they're mostly just drinking alcohol. No, that's fair. So you're safe. Myros, uh, how about you? People can't find you on the internet, but no. uh, you know what they can do? If you email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com with all your questions, concerns, comments, um, just asking why we haven't made new episodes of Wulong Club. <laughs> Send that over to Myros, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, and he will hopefully uh, answer your email or just forward them to me, one or the other. Also, if you want to find us on Twitter, at optimismvaccine on Twitter, and if you're listening to this episode right now, there's a link in the description that takes you to our iTunes page. Please click that link. Please give us a five-star written review that helps us become more visible thanks to iTunes' super weird algorithm. And the more visible we are, uh, the more people that can listen to us. And hopefully, you know, the more people that listen, the more content we can put out for you. And if you want to yell at me specifically, you can find me on Twitter or Letterboxd, I guess, at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve, C-U-F-F. And, uh, yeah, feel free to scream at me if you want. And with that, I think that about wraps things up. Thanks again, guys, and we will be back uh, hopefully next week.